Welcome to the Investment Clinic Live, your monthly 30-minute online chat with an investor. And now your host, Brindusa Burroughs. Hi, Julianne. Good morning. Good afternoon. Very, very pleased to have you today, Julianne Zimmerman, Managing Director, Reinventure Capital USA. You have a very interesting investment approach focused on women entrepreneurs and founders of color. So we very much look forward to hearing from you today. My name is Brunda Zaboro. I'm the founder and CEO of the Ground Up Project. We have designed the investment clinic and the discussion today is one of the products of the investment clinic because we have seen that investment readiness in the impact space is the number one challenge for ventures. And what that does is that actually it narrows the investable impact deal flow for investors considerably. Across all categories of impact, only 2% of ventures are ready to be introduced to investors. And there's something we can do to change that. The investment clinic is a part of the Ground Up Project company, but it offers a new set of services. We want to have investor lectures and a few of them, I'll say a word about yours, Julianne, today. A few of them are already online. There are more to come in the next months and weeks. We offer uh, free webinars, live webinars such as these, with investors, with asset managers, with professionals from impact investment space to get people closer to each other, get the chance to ask questions and, and live hear investors talk about their experience and their expectations. So as an entrepreneur, one can prepare better. But there's also expert support. So we work with consultants, uh, former commercial and investment bankers or PwC, Accenture consultants and others who have gathered a host of experience in financial modeling and revenue modeling feedback on your pitches, investment teasers, and so on. So there's a range of services that help you prepare in your fundraising stage. The Ground Up Project is a deal sourcing platform. The key component of the platform is the value compass. As companies join the Ground Up Project platform, this proprietary tool benchmarks risks and performance in, in a company. It shows you as an entrepreneur what are the elements that an investor would expect to hear from you? What are some of the things that you need to think through and consider? And then it gives you a sense in a visual graphic form, a sense of where your business is at. On the groundupproject.net, there's also a range of investors who are viewing and reviewing businesses. So we do encourage you to take a look. And if you find this helpful, it is a free tool made designed for your preparation. Now, Julianne, we are delighted to have you here today. And I have to say, I was reading your, your bio and you have done, you've come so close to one of my childhood dreams. You know, when I was a, <laughs> you know, when I was a little girl, I wanted to be an astronaut. And you were twice a finalist in the NASA astronaut selection process. Wow. Yeah, I was. It was an extraordinary experience. And I feel very fortunate to have come so close. It was also my childhood dream to be an astronaut. And Gosh. I had a wonderful experience working in that field. And also when I was not selected, that gave me the opportunity from my way of thinking at any rate, that gave me the opportunity and really the invitation 
to go do something else that I would care about as much and feel was as worthwhile. And that's what set me off on my second and now third careers. <laughs> and what is what is interesting in in both of them the latter ones is that you actually were also on the entrepreneur side so you've been yourself in a position where you had to fundraise and you had to pitch investors and today you're at, at the other side of the table and you know I'm curious whether the experience you had as an entrepreneur has influenced the way you see things as an sure of course it was a very good experience for me to be a co-founder and to work with lots of early young companies in a variety of capacities, actually, uh, not only as a co-founder or an early team member, but also as a board member, or advisor, mentor, sometimes a consultant, and really to gain a firsthand on-the-ground understanding of the day-to-day operational and strategic challenges that startups face. And certainly as a co-founder, I had many of the very frustrating experiences that, <laughs> that those of you who are on today's webinar are having or have had with investors. And so I can sympathize <laughs> for certain. And also it was that experience that led me to develop an investment thesis of my own. And that ultimately led me in a very entrepreneurial way to co-found a seed stage investment practice and to make my first investments based on my own investment thesis. And that ultimately led me to join with my now business partner, Ed Duggar, in reinventure capital. And I am absolutely delighted to have found my way here, even though it was it was never something that I set out to do. I never aspired to be an investor the way some folks do. I found my way here organically. Hmm. And that I think is an is a great asset in any conversation that an entrepreneur would have with you. And it's something that definitely you can share you can share with them. I think this leads me nicely into a couple of questions that that are coming out of your investor lecture. And I would like to recommend your investor lecture to all those who are listening today and also the ones who will be listening to to this recording online. If you go to theinvestmentclinic.com, under investor lectures, Julianne's lecture is freshly posted since uh, yesterday. There are many, many things that you have said that are amazing insights for entrepreneurs. I'd like to pick a couple of them today. You mentioned that your thesis is around women entrepreneurs and founders of color. Can you tell us why this is a big, important investment opportunity for you? Any statistics or numbers that are attached to it that give us a sense that this is an important opportunity? Sure. So... For anyone who hasn't seen the statistics, they're quite stark. In the U.S. in particular, and I'm, I'm going to use predominantly U.S. figures since those are the ones I know best, but these trends are also evident around the world. They're evident globally. In the U.S., most particularly and most starkly, 90%, give or take, of all venture capital goes to a very small subset of the entrepreneurial population, namely 
straight white U.S. born men from a small number of universities, fewer than a dozen, operating their businesses in four cities, just four cities, and with a very narrow set of business models. Now, in and of itself, that may not seem like it's a it's a huge catastrophic thing. It certainly may sound unfair. And, and I think there is a, a dimension of fairness there, but, but it's an economic disaster. And why do I say that? If you look at wealth and job creation over the last 20 years, again, in the U.S. particularly, but also globally, most or all of wealth creation and most or all of job creation has come from young, growing companies young growing firms. And if we think about the fact that the overwhelming majority of capital has been channeled to a very, very small population of founders with a very small number of business models in a very small number of cities, then we see how by no one's economic policy, by no one's financial strategy, by no one's uh, design at all, we have manufactured the financial inequity that the World Economic Forum has characterized as the number one threat to global economic stability. So that's the economic challenge or the economic imperative. The flip side of that is that when you have so much capital and so much attention focused on such a small subset of the opportunity pool That means that there's a very large portion of that opportunity pool that's open to those of us who are interested in pursuing it. And that's the financial opportunity where we see lots and lots of compelling businesses being started and grown up by people of color and women who are just basically overlooked by the mainstream community. And that to us, that combination of the economic imperative and the financial imperative, and also the ethical imperative, frankly, is very, very compelling. As a, as a woman entrepreneur myself, I kind of know what you mean when you say, you know, it is, it is much harder for a woman entrepreneur to, to fundraise, to approach investors. And overall, just we just have to be much better than, than others in, in pitching. It's really great to see that you have a particular attention dedicated to women entrepreneurs and, and founders of color. And, and I do hope uh, that, that this will contribute to sort of addressing that, that inequity that, that we have built in the system that you have mentioned earlier. The other interesting thing that you said, I think it stood out to me quite quickly, was that you don't like pitches. And so <laughs> what <laughs> you said it very clearly in your lecture. Yeah. So, so then what is it that an entrepreneur should come prepared to tell you? Sure. So I should probably clarify that. What, <laughs> what I mean is, of course, we, we need to see and, and review pitches. What we don't like, however is for our first encounter with an entrepreneur to be through a pitch, and particularly through a pitch that is emailed to us or, or passed to us. Our preferred way of meeting a founder or particularly preferably a founder team is in conversation. 
And we want to hear from that team about the goals and aspirations they have for the business and their motivation for creating this particular business and the way they're thinking about their market and the way they're thinking about their customers and the way they work together to address those aspirations and and those opportunities. And we want to hear from them what they understand to be their biggest challenges or obstacles or gaps and how they're thinking about those as well. And in that conversation, we get to participate with them in, in developing a much more intimate understanding of the business and a much better understanding of the people we're talking to. We're focused very much on identifying the people we believe we can help to be successful. And and that's the key to our decision-making process. Now, of course, we do want to see presentation materials. And of course, we dive into financials. And of course, we go into all of the particulars, assuming that it makes sense for us to continue that conversation. But for us, really, the starting point needs to be with the people, with the founder or founder team to start to understand who they are as individuals, as a team, as founders, and how they think about the business they're working to grow and whether it makes sense for us to contribute in some way. Hmm. This is very helpful. I think for those who are listening, who perhaps might want to get in touch with you, you know, inviting you to a conversation is probably the way to do it rather than an email a pitch. And I, I should add, it makes it for a very thoughtful approach to get interested in the person who is who is putting together the business and the team that they've got together. But it also makes good business sense to to look at and to get to know the, the person who is going to execute on the business that you would invest in, just as it is a thoughtful approach for them to get to know you and your experience and and what you can bring to the business by investing. Well, thank you. One of the points that I made in the video that you just posted last night is that if if your company is well-suited to venture capital and not all companies need to or should pursue venture capital, but but if that's a, a good fit for your company, then it's really imperative for you as the founder team to do your research, do your homework on any investors you're contemplating working with and make sure you understand who they are and and what they care about and how they make decisions and how they work with their portfolio companies so that you are choosing well when you make a commitment with that investor because you're going to be working with that person for many years, very closely in, in sometimes uncomfortable circumstances. And so you don't want to find out after you've signed an investment agreement that the person on the other side of that agreement has very different ways of thinking, very different objectives, very different success criteria, et cetera, than you have. 
You want to make sure before you get into that relationship that you've made sure that you have really, really good alignment and trust. Alignment of objectives is also a point that Pierce Cumberledge was making in the first right. um, investor lecture we had on the investmentclinic.com. That's uh, a pretty important and I, I'd say empowering argument for, for entrepreneurs. Now, here are some questions that we received from participants who signed up to today's webinar. I try to regroup them because we don't have a lot of time, but um, some of them stood out and some of them, I think, can be addressed through just a couple of, of bullet points. Now, here's one that, that drew my attention. What advice should I give my three daughters? And, and I expect the person who asked this question particularly talks about you know, career advice and, and sort of entrepreneurial paths. And there were others who were also asking about empowering young women all over the world who aspire to become entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. So what advice should, should they give their three daughters? You know, I, I think that the most important thing we can do for our daughters and our sons too, for that matter, is to expose them to women who are doing amazing things. And that's by the news that we watch as families. It's by the uh, examples we discuss around the dinner table. It's by the, the activities we undertake together. But also, it's by the way we talk about our own work and our own experiences as professionals. So talking with them about people we admire and making sure that we explain to them why we admire them and giving them a chance to try things for themselves, uh, to make their own decisions and to have mistakes and little setbacks and to talk with them about that and give them the confidence to recognize that they are going to sometimes make the wrong decision, or even if they make a good decision, sometimes things aren't going to go their way anyway, even if they've done everything right. But they have the capacity, they have the ability to rebound from that, to learn something from it, to find a new, a new way forward. And that that is, that kind of resilience is within them. They don't have to look to somebody else to find it. And that that kind of resilience actually is what makes good entrepreneurs as well. Um, Absolutely. And, and there's I, not a single example, by the way, of what it means to be a successful entrepreneur. I think seeing lots of examples is also helpful. Mm. Uh, the, the neighborhood businesses that make our communities vital are run by entrepreneurs. The small town or even regional newspapers are run by people who are increasingly very, very entrepreneurial. <laughs> you know, I think the more examples we can offer, the, the more ways our kids can grow up to themselves be innovative and creative in their own professional lives. Whether that involves being entrepreneurs or whether that involves reshaping established organizations, because let's face it, all of our organizations are going to need to be reshaped in their working lives. Mm. 
And on behalf of my own daughter, thank you for that advice, which I will pass, <laughs> I will pass on. <laughs> now, here's a special one. And I know who this is coming from. It's a company who is actually developing a technology that helps a woman issue. They're actually a men-led company, and they have to pitch this technology to men investors. So, you know, their question was, with so few women investors, how could men-led companies that address women issues convince men investors? This is a complex question, and, and there are several different layers, let's call them. One is the simple fact, unfortunately, is that most male investors, and there are exceptions, but most male investors for, I'm not sure what reasons exactly, they tend to be quite skittish about businesses that focus on women. And very often what they might say is, I don't know anything about this, or this is not a field I particularly understand, or I don't really have any interest there. I would say, really, again, you, you need to focus on who are the investors who are deploying capital in the field you are pursuing and focus on the sources of capital who are interested in this particular area, whatever application you're working on. So if it's women's health, for example, they might be investors in health and wellness or medical devices or pharma or therapies or whatever, if it's women's interests in terms of education or professional development or any other field, focus on the, the people who are investing in that field and who are knowledgeable in that field. The other thing I would say is that we often see founders who are addressing a need they see in a community that's not their own. And this is particularly often the case for impact or social entrepreneurs. And while it's laudable and, and very often the ideas are, are quite good, as investors, I can say that it makes many of us quite nervous if there's no one in the team who represents the target customer or the end user. And so the danger there, the hazard there is that You've made a lot of well-meaning assumptions, many of which could be completely wrong. And by not having anyone involved in the team who represents the end user or the end customer, you can be missing really important understanding that will make or break your business. So in, in a lot of impact or social enterprises, we see this. And I always encourage entrepreneurs to find ways to bring that customer perspective in, either to bring somebody directly onto the team or onto the advisory board or onto the board, but in some way, shape, or form, incorporate that customer understanding, that end user awareness, the perspective of the people you are intending to help, right? so that yeah. you can make sure that you're actually addressing their perspective. And that's across uh, across any type of sector or issue Absolutely. That, that companies address. Here's a set of questions that I'd like to address together. I think a lot of the those who signed up for today's webinar 
are looking for advice um, in terms of fundraising. And there were two very particular ones that, that I selected, but I think more generally, any tips for entrepreneurs raising early stage capital. And two of them have highlighted first how difficult it is to have visibility on future revenue stream. And therefore, the conversation very early on may miss some of, some of these critical aspects, perhaps, for the investor. And then the second question that, that somebody raised was how you differentiate your business offering relatively early in the game. So any tips with respect to these two or more generally in terms of raising early stage capital and the approach to it that an entrepreneur should take? Sure. So there's a heavy emphasis, particularly here in the States, on what's called friends and family capital. And if you have access to people in your network who have the capacity, the financial wherewithal and the the sophistication to give you that kind of support, that is amazing. Make sure that you have serious conversations with them and have documents. Don't just do verbal agreements and handshakes because those have a tendency to carry lots of misunderstandings and, and can develop very serious ill will downstream. You don't want to ruin relationships. But for many of us, we did not grow up surrounded by wealth or privilege. And so saying, oh, you should get friends and family is really not helpful. What I would say and what I tell my students in the class I teach at Tufts University is before you launch, before you commit to spending any money, you want to find out everything you possibly can about your customers. And your customers may or may not be your end users. They may be sponsors or advertisers or, or businesses who want to pay you for the information that you will generate in serving your end users. But make sure that you understand as much as you possibly can, how those parties think, the end users and the customers, especially if they're not the same. And the way you do that is by going out and conducting stakeholder interviews. Go out and ask them questions about their needs and what they are satisfied or dissatisfied with the current available products and services and what would appeal to them and what would they pay for and why. And under what circumstances and how much. And the more you can develop that insight, the more you begin to have a compelling proposition that you can then take to someone who might be willing to provide angel or seed investment. Or you might even be able to convince some of those early customers to pay you to launch a very minimal, what we call in the States, a minimal, minimum viable product that enables you to validate the business model and it enables them to validate that you can deliver what they actually want. So that gives you a really compelling investment presentation, but it also gives you a really clear differentiation because you have understood from your market what is actually wanted that's different from what exists. Just, just how crucial understanding your market is, and it can go a long way even if you can't have clear visibility on, on revenue stream. That's a really important argument to bring in. 
Now, we have a couple of more minutes, I think, we can take for the last uh, two questions. Just as a, as a quick answer, what are some of the available funding solutions you think for enterprise development? And this comes from organizations who work on the ground to, to grow enterprises and form entrepreneurs. Well, this is not the work that I do, so I'm, I'm a little bit out of my depth, but I can point to a couple of organizations who do it very well. And so, for example, Oxfam has an entire group led by a phenomenal professional by the name of Mara Bolas, also based here in Boston. She formulates and pilots new financial instruments and financial offerings specifically for underserved, unbanked or underbanked populations. And she particularly focuses on women in developing markets. And the way that she does that is by starting off with nonprofit money, donor and sponsor money, and doing very small demonstrations in a very controlled way, but involving the established financial institutions in the region in the prototype launch and in the design and in the ex execution and in particularly in, in, in evaluating the success of the prototype. And so they're bought in. And when the prototype is successful, then they recognize that there is a new business opportunity there, which has been substantially validated before they've made any significant investment at all. Mm -hmm. And so she is able then to transition those new financial instruments or offerings directly to the commercial sector. Now, if you want to grow up some new product or service, then you, you probably want to design those partnerships so that then instead of handing it off altogether, you develop a strategic relationship with those commercial partners. But the idea is to find ways to engage them very, very early to make sure that they are, they are bought into the idea. They are engaged in the process of defining and refining the proposition. And then they have a clear alignment with their strategic interests to see it succeed. It makes me think that this probably deserves another clinic live, just focusing on, on funding for enterprise development, since there are many organizations out there who are involved in, in this field. So, so here's the last one uh, very quickly. What are the sectors that you have invested in the past in, or, or that you're interested in at the moment? For entrepreneurs on the phone to know a little bit more, you know, what could they talk to you about? Reinventure Capital is focused on companies here in the States at or about break even. So their revenues are about even with their operating expenses that can grow profitably and that we can help to grow more profitably. We are interested in companies across sectors. There are some sectors in which it's very difficult to grow profitably, and so those would not those would not be a fit for us, like, for example, pharma. But we are intentionally cross-sectoral in our approach. In the past, I have invested in companies in energy, water, food, and health. And we are certainly looking at companies in all of those sectors, plus several others besides digital media and business to business, enterprise services and education and a number of other, uh, a number of other areas. 
I think if we have particular interest from people on the call today, we'd be happy to offer the Grand Up Project website as a way to put forward some of their proposals to you and other investors. We would encourage people to, to take a look at Reinventure Capital, learn more about the fund, learn more about you and your approach. And as you were saying, invite you for a conversation if they think that, that they are a fit with your um, investment strategy. Thank you. Thank you very much, Julianne. Just as a quick last minute presentation to remind you that the Investment Clinic has three products available to you. The investor lectures are online. You can find them at theinvestmentclinic.com. Live clinics such as this one, webinars where we invite guest speakers to understand more about their strategy, their approach, and about themselves. And then on-demand clinic is where you can work with experts who have an expertise you need at the time when you fundraise. There have been entrepreneurs who, for example, were in the middle of negotiating a, a commercial loan, and so they needed to confer with someone who has experience in this negotiation, and they found an expert on the investmentclinic.com. There are many others that you can rely upon. And then the Ground Up Project is, again, a deal sourcing platform. If you'd like to feature your business there, the, the better the answers to, to the questions that are asked to you and the higher the Value Compass score, obviously, it will reflect a much more mature and investor-ready business. We would be very happy to point to your applications to investors who are online and looking for, for businesses such as yours. And don't hesitate to just contact us if you have any questions or would like to know how the Value Compass works and how else we could help you. So thank you again, Julianne, and thank you all for joining us today. For more insights from Impact Investors, visit www.theinvestmentclinic.com.